Uh, turn with me, please, this evening in the wonderful Word of the Lord to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. Luke 5 and 12. It came to pass when he, Jesus, was in a certain city. Behold a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. That's the title of our series, is God's will to heal. And we're asking the question, is it God's will to heal? Is it God's will to heal everybody all the time? Is it God's will to heal everybody right now? Well, I like your answer. But do you understand millions of Christians don't agree with you? Millions of Christians And I'm not saying anything negative about them. A lot of good people love the Lord. Thoroughly saved. Millions of Christians in different groups and denominations all over the planet. They believe God could do it. If it was his will. But that many, many times it is not his will. For reasons which we don't understand and won't understand in this lifetime. And the reason I know about that is because there was a time I sincerely believed that same thing. There was a time uh, as a teenager, I'd go around with my pastor back where I grew up. I'd go with him on hospital visitations. And he'd pray for people and I'd pray with him. I'd back him up best I knew how. And I remember many times by somebody's bedside in the hospital, somebody facing death. And uh, he'd pray, Lord... Help our dear sister, you know, heal her if it be thy will, and if not, thy will be done. Help us to be strong, to accept your will, whatever it might be. And I'd say amen, and that's how we pray. But, you know, examine that prayer. Examine it. If you say, Lord... What people are saying is, Lord, you are sovereign, and your will is sovereign, whatever that means, and you're going to do what you're going to do, no matter what, because you're God. And so, Lord, if it's your will, healer, of course, if it was your will to healer, you would have healed her anyway. Since it was your will, because you're going to do what your will. <laughs> and if not, then don't heal her. Of course, if it wasn't your will to heal her, you wasn't going to heal her anyway. <laughs> so in other words, why are we praying? Because <laughs> you're going to do what you're going to do, no matter what we're going to do. Well, then did he tell us to pray? 
did he tell us to pray about healing? Then why would he tell us to pray for something it might not be his will to do? Well, he wouldn't. Did anybody ever ask the Lord this question? Is it your will to heal me? Yes, we have it printed. Right here in the book. A man looking at Jesus in the eye. A man on death's door. A man, according to man's ability, incurable. Terminal. No hope. Nothing could be done for him. In the last stages, Dr. Luke says, full of leprosy. If you study this situation, this is a terrible situation. This man's body is dead. Part of it's dead while he's trying to walk around in it. It really is. It's a living death. Part of his body is dead. The nerves are dead. There's no feeling. You know, it's terrible. And he's excluded. He has to live outside the camp. He has to be quarantined from everybody else. And he looks at Jesus. And he said, Jesus, I believe with everything in me, you could heal me of this if you would. And Jesus answered him. Come on, now read the next verse. Jesus answered him. Tell me what he said. Jesus said. He put forth his hand and he touched his terrible looking, terrible smelling body. With his hand, he put his hand right on him. And he looked at him and he said, what? Hmm? Just be patient, my boy. We don't always understand how the Lord works. Hmm? And you just never know what God's going to do. Let's just accept his will and be humble. Millions pray this way, but they didn't get it from Jesus. And they didn't get it from the Bible. They've got it from dead, goofy, confused religious tradition. How many think it would be good to pray like Jesus? To think like Jesus? If you're a Christ, I am one like the Christ, you ought to find out what he said. And what he did, duplicate that, not men's ideas about it. What did he say? Come on, tell me. What did he say? He, he didn't mince words. He didn't preface it with a bunch of explanation. He looked at him and he said, I will you be clean. Glory to God. And what? Immediately the leprosy departed from him. Listen to another translation. It says that he said, Jesus, if you're willing, you're able to cure me and make me clean. Jesus said, I am willing. Be cleansed. The living Bible says, he said, sir, if you only will, you can clear me of every trace of my disease. And it's by, the living said, Jesus responded and said, of course I will be healed. This is not some theologian's idea about this. This is not some modern Christian conjecturing about this. This is the master answering the man's question. Has Jesus changed? 
Is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? If he said this then, what would he say now? He'd say the same thing or he's changed. Is he a respecter of persons? Does he play favorites? The Bible said he is no respecter of persons, which means if he told it to him, he'd tell it to you. If he said it then, he'd say it now. If he said it to him, he'll say it to you. I got the answer as far as I'm concerned. Hmm? Right here. In the book. Lord, is it your will for me to be healed? He said it. I will. I will. I like just saying it. I will. You know, he never said I won't. Never did. Never. Many, many people healed under his ministry. Not one did he ever look at them and say, no, I won't. It's not my will. It's not time. You got to wait. God's working something out in your life. He never said any of these things. Never. Everybody who ever came to Jesus to be healed left healed. Every one of them. Every one of them. And he has never changed. So then we are immersing ourselves in this for a time. Of God's will for us to be healed. Because faith begins where the will of God is known. You can't be in faith to be healed and you're questioning his will. This cannot, does not work. But when you get settled in it and you know it and you're fully persuaded then your faith rises up easily. Glory to God. So we've been looking at reason after reason why we are sure, why we are fully persuaded, why we're convinced that it's God's will for all of us to be healed. Let me review just a little bit. Number one, we looked at God's word is medicine. And medicine will make you whole and his word is for everybody. So if his word will heal you, And his word's for everybody, then healing's got to be for everybody. Number two, a strong spirit, the Bible said, would sustain you. Well, he didn't want you to be weak in your spirit. He wants you to be strong. You know, that's his will. And the Bible tells you if your spirit is strong, it will help you overcome even bodily pain and trouble. Number three, the original creation. We asked the question, on what God, what day, excuse me, did God create cancer? When he created the heavens and the earth. On which day did he create AIDS? Or high blood pressure? Huh? On which day did God create sickness and disease? He didn't. It was not a part of his original creation. Then number four. We talked about God's will in heaven. Are there any sick people in heaven? Not a one. Did he tell us to pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven? Does he have two separate wills? One? No, he doesn't. We saw number five, the origin of sickness. We saw where it came from. Death came as a result of sin. And sickness and poverty and oppression and confusion, all these different bondages are different fruit of death that came as a result of sin. Well, to say all that stuff is the will of God is to say what caused it is the will of God. Sin is not the will of God. So all the results of sin can't be the will of God. We saw number six, sickness is a work of the devil. Then why do so many people attribute it to God? Hmm? Many do. Job 2.7 said the devil made Job sick. Hmm? Psalm 41.8 called sickness and disease a thing of the devil, an evil thing. Luke 13.16 
called sickness and disease satanic bondage. Jesus did. Acts 10.38 called sickness and disease satanic oppression. Well, that's four witnesses. Then don't say it's from God. If the Bible says it's of the devil, that's what you ought to say. Say it out loud, everybody. Sickness Sickness is of the devil. devil. Well, so the question is, does God want you to have something that's of the devil? Well, I know people, some people don't believe this, but, you know, we're happy about it. And we believe we're reading the Bible. Number seven, we saw we have a covenant of healing. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. The psalmist said he forgives all your iniquities and he heals all your diseases. Hmm? I says, well, if all that's true, why don't I see it? Because you got to believe it first. Amen. It's not seeing and then believing. you got to believe it before it looks like it and before it feels like it. And you got to keep on believing it no matter what you see. How many believe your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life? You ever saw the book? You saw what page your name's on? No, but you believe it. How long have you been believing that? You going to keep on believing it? Huh? How many believe that the Lord is going to prepare a place for you? He's working on it right now. You ever saw it? No, but you believe it's there. How long are you going to keep believing it? How many believe Jesus is coming back? He's coming. He's coming. It's closer than it's ever been. You hadn't seen it. What proof you got of that? Well, that's what faith is all about. And you can believe healing belongs to you just the same way. No matter what you see or what you don't see, you believe it the same way. Number eight, we saw the eternal names of God. He still is Jehovah Shammah. He still is Jehovah Sidkenu. He still is Jehovah Rei. He's all of these things. And is he still Jehovah Rapha, our healer? You can't say one of those names has changed and not true anymore and all the rest of them still exist. No, nobody has a right to say the great I am was the great I am is he still is the Lord who heals you we saw sickness is a curse number nine and number ten last week we got into types of redemption I want you to go with me again to second Corinthians the first chapter second Corinthians one bless the Lord Hallelujah. Forget not all his benefits. This is one of his great benefits, his many benefits. Second Corinthians, the first chapter. We said last week, we're sure it's God's will for all of us to be healed today because of the types of redemption, types. T-Y-P-E-S. The Old Testament is filled with wonderful, beautiful types of Jesus and the work of redemption. And our question is, is there healing in these types? And if there's healing in the type, what does that prove? It proves there's healing in the anti-type that which the type is a type of, the real thing, the plan of redemption. 
Now, this is big stuff. I said, this is big stuff. And as soon as we finish this part, we're going into the actual plan of redemption, which we're already into now. But here is the point. Is healing a part of God's plan of redemption for us? Is healing included in it? If it is, what does that mean? How many is redemption for? Are there parts of redemption that's not for everybody? No. No. If it's part of redemption, it belongs to whosoever will believe it and receive it. And it belongs to us now. This is a big question. Big issue. Now there are a number of theologians, seminary educated pastors and ministers, that believe that God can heal He has the power to, if he chooses to, but that healing is not part of redemption like forgiveness of sin that anybody could believe they receive anytime they want to. They don't believe that. So actually, without saying it, and some have even come right out and said it, what they are saying is that there is a blessing available to mankind apart from Jesus. Apart from the work of the cross. And I feel very strongly about this. That there is no blessing available to mankind, past, present, or future. Apart from the work of Jesus. I'm fully persuaded of this. Hmm? Any deliverance. Anybody who was ever forgiven of sin back in the Old Testament. People that were forgiven, they were forgiven based on what Jesus would do when he came. And every animal that they sacrificed and every blood that they shed was pointing to the time when the spotless Lamb of God would shed his own blood. Can you say amen? Well, people were also enriched. Abraham was made rich. People were protected. People were delivered. I believe it was all based on what Jesus would do. And he gave them statutes and ordinances. And every one of them was a foreshadowing, a type of the master who was to come. Isaiah which we're going to get into real strong here soon, the 53rd chapter, looking through the centuries, saw Jesus, and he saw him take our place, and he said, with his stripes, we are healed. And then fast forward into the future, which is now our past, where Peter is writing, and Peter looks back, To what Jesus has just done. And says by his stripes. You were healed. Healing. Is an integral part. Of the plan of redemption. When you think about how much of Jesus ministry. Involved healing. You begin to see it is no side issue. Read the gospel accounts carefully and see how much time Jesus spent ministering to sick people. 
There were times when we know there were thousands of them there. And it says he laid his hands on every one of them. There are times when there were uh, you know, multiples of thousands. And they reached and touched him. He walked through the streets that were just clogged full of people. Hurting and diseased. And the Bible said everyone that touched him got up and walked away healed. He preached about it. He ministered it. It is no side thing with him. It wasn't then. It's not now. Jesus cares if you're hurting in your body. He cares if you're disease ridden and problems. And he is more than enough to make it change. In fact, he's already bought and paid for your and my healing. It belongs to you just as much as forgiveness of sin belongs to you. It's part of the same redemptive plan. In fact... You're just as healed as you are forgiven. Not everybody believes that. But it's a Bible fact. A finished redemptive fact. Well, we saw this through some of these uh, already. In fact, read the scripture before I go into that. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. For all the promises of God in him, in Jesus... Are yes, and in him, amen, or so be it, unto the glory of God by us. How many of the promises God of God find their yes, and so be it in him? All, All of them. If anybody was ever healed, what was it based on? Anybody in history that was ever healed, what was it based on? It was based on what Jesus was going to do or had already done in the mind of God. He's the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. In the mind of God, it was done. But there is no blessing available to anybody anywhere except through Jesus. Now, if you think you believe something different, I won't, don't just take my word for it. Examine this. This is serious. If the Lord could forgive somebody apart from the work of Jesus, then Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was unnecessary. To me, that is blasphemy. That's some of the most serious thing a man or woman could ever say. To imply or infer in any way. That what he did was not necessary. It's blasphemy. No. Nobody. Could have ever been forgiven. Except by what he did. And nobody could have ever been. Or ever will be healed. Except by what he did. Nobody could ever be protected. Or blessed. Or made free. All the promises of God. Find their fulfillment. Give God the right to say, yes, you can have it. (laughs) And so be it to you. Hmm? When Jesus looked at the leper and he said, what? I will. What's he saying? Yes. Yes, you can be healed. And what else? Be clean. Is this a yes? And a so be it? And what did Jesus minister this to this man based on? What he's about to do. 
Oh, can you see this? What he's about to do at the whipping post and at the cross. Do you see this or not? You believe this? There is no blessing, no benefit available to anybody, anywhere, anytime, except through Jesus. And all the promises of God find their yes and fulfillment in him. Well, we see types of this throughout the Old Testament. We saw in the uh, Passover lamb. Oh, what a beautiful type that is. Didn't we? Did you see Jesus in that? Did you see any healing in that? Yeah, you did. Now tell me, if there's healing in the type, what does that mean? There's healing in the real thing, the plan of redemption. We saw the cleansing of the leper. What a beautiful ceremony. We saw cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop and water and two birds. One died and one lived. And all of this was over a healing. A healing. We saw the year of Jubilee. Glory to God. If you had lost it all. You could get it all back. You could be completely restored. The year of Jubilee. And we see Jesus talking about the acceptable year of the Lord. And how that you could, the blind could see. The captive could be set free. The poor got delivered. Let's go on. Are you ready? Let's go on to another type. I got two more I'd like for you to see. That's not all there is. The Old Testament is full of these, which is why we read our Old Testament. We don't neglect our Old Testament. You see beautiful pictures of Jesus. Number 16. What are we looking at? Types of redemption. What are we looking for? Yeah, Jesus is right, but we're also looking for healing in the type. And if we find healing in the type, what does that prove to us? There's healing in the actual plan of redemption, in redemption itself. And what does that mean to us? If there's healing in redemption, healing's got to be for everybody. That's why, as you say, in parts of redemption are not for everybody. In uh, Numbers 16, this type of uh, redemption I call atonement for the plague number 16 now what has happened and this kind of goes along with what we've gotten into on Sunday morning we had a group of people who were rebellious somebody said not me a group of people Korah Dathan and Abiram and 250 famous people in the congregation, hooked up with Korah's bunch. Somebody say 250. 250. And these were the head deacons and associates. You know what I mean by that? People that the other people knew and looked up to, and that's the ones the enemy really goes after to get to rebel. Why? Because they're the ones that's got influence. You know, people that nobody known has done anything, you know, it's hard for them to influence very many people. But the enemy, the more influence you have, the more the enemy desires it. 
He is the original and the ultimate control freak. Emphasis on freak. He is. He wants to control everybody completely. He is a manipulator. He is a controller. The Holy Ghost is not. He will deal with you. He'll even deal with you strongly. But if you don't want to do it, he's not going to make you. He's not going to try to make you. And if you're the right kind of person, that's how you are too. But the devil is a manipulator. He is a forcer. He's going to make people do it. He's going to control. And uh, these people rebelled. And you know the story, the earth opened up. And they all went down alive, them and all their families and all their help and all their employees and all their livestock and their tents and the ground closed up on top of them. Hmm. And you would think, somebody say you would think, you would think the rest of the bunch would have got a clue. You would have thought, wouldn't you? Looking at that, you would have thought that the rest of this bunch would have thought, well, My rebellious days are over. (laughs) You'll never catch me (laughs) rebelling and doing what them guys did. But that evening, that afternoon, the whole bunch of them said, you've killed the people of the Lord. Guess Moses and Aaron. You've killed the people of, who killed the people? Who caused the ground to open up? Moses didn't do that. Aaron didn't know. And these people are so darkened in their understanding. And you know what made them that way? Their unbelief. Unthankfulness makes you dumb. Where would you get that? Romans chapter 1. Doesn't say it quite like that. It says, not being thankful, their understanding was darkened. Similar, isn't it? I mean, if you are unthankful, and how would you know they're unthankful? Griping. Griping and fault finding and being unthankful, you get dumber and dumber. Your understanding gets, you see less and less. Something can be right in front of you and you don't even see it. Can you see that with this bunch? I mean, it should have been so obvious. Don't open your mouth and rebel. But the whole bunch did. Because they were so darkened. So dull. And the Bible said here in number 16 and down about verse 41. On the morrow all the congregation. Not just a few of them. All the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And they said you have killed the people of the Lord. Now see they thought they had a problem with Moses and Aaron. But it really was a problem with the Lord. He took it personally. And it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron, they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation and behold, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared and Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation and the Lord spake to Moses and he said, get you up from amongst this congregation that I may consume them as in a moment. How's God feel about rebellion? And they fell on their faces. Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put a fire from off the altar. 
and put on incense and go quickly to the congregation and make an atonement for them. There's wrath going out from the Lord. The plague is begun. Now we studied this earlier and saw how this worked. You know, when he told, when the scripture said the Lord's going to smite the firstborn, we saw actually that when he saw the blood, he was able to cause the destroyer not to come into their house. But then the last part of that verse said, I will, when I see the blood, I will not suffer. I will not allow the destroyer to come into you. We'll see this more and more. And as you've been reading your chapters, you see this kind of thing, particularly in Judges now, that the Lord doesn't have to try to destroy you. If he does not protect you, you will be destroyed. Do you see this? The Lord passes judgment that allows the destroyer access. All he does is this. And there are plenty of devils and disease and accidents and crazy people ready to take you out. All he's got to do is not keep you. Hmm? And so really it's people's own sin that removes the protection. And so the plague began to sweep through the people because of their rebellion and the removal of God's protection. And Aaron did, verse 47, as Moses had commanded him, he ran into the midst of the congregation. The plague was begun among the people. He put on incense and he made an atonement for the people. Is this typical of redemption? Do we have a high priest today? Did the high priest do something? As a mediator. Yes. Can you see this? Can you see this? Oh, now it just gets richer the further you read. He made an atonement for the people and he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stayed. Oh, come on now. The high priest made an atonement. And he stood up, having made the atonement between the plague that had already killed the people and was advancing toward the rest of them. He stood up as high priest, having made the atonement, and the plague couldn't get through him to the other people. The plague couldn't get through the high priest. The plague couldn't get through the atoning sacrifice. The plague was stopped. In its tracks, it was stayed. Can you see Jesus in this? Is there healing in this? It's like the last one we read. The whole thing is about healing. Glory to God. Kind of excites me. Do we have a mediator now? Go to the book of Hebrews. Now, this is so big that I would have a natural inclination to just get into this and camp here for some time. But we'll be led. Hebrews 4. And uh, 14. Hebrews 4.14, what does it say? Seeing then that we, we. Have a great high priest. 
We got a high priest. So then Aaron, that high priest, was a type of our high priest. We have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, and seeing we got this great high priest, what are we to do? What are we to do? Let us, this is something we do, let us hold fast to our profession. Other translations say confession. Confession. Is he? Well, back up to the third chapter. Just read it instead of me quoting it. You're so close. Three and one. Three, one. Wherefore, holy brethren, you are holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our begging. Huh? Uh Uh-uh. The high priest of our profession. How many have a modern translation that says confession? Let me see. Yeah. Yeah. Confession. Christ Jesus. He is the high priest of what? Our confession. He has already made the sacrifice. The work has already been done. But what we say about it affects what we experience of it. And he is able to work in our life according to what we say about it. He is the apostle and the high priest of what you say. Your confession. Now what should you say? You should say what he says. If he says you're forgiven, what should you say? I'm forgiven. What if you say I'm not? I just don't feel like I am. Then you're not giving him what he needs to work with in your life. What if he says you're healed? What should you say? Hmm? What if he said you'll not die but live and declare the works of the Lord? And with long life he'd satisfy you and show you his salvation. What should you say? I don't think I'll make it to see 50. People say that kind of stuff all the time. Just, you know, they think it's mysterious or whatever. Couldn't pay me to say it. Hmm? I want to give the Lord something he can work with in my life. I want to agree with him. If he says I'm blessed, I say I'm blessed. If he says I'm forgiven, I say I'm forgiven. If he says I'm righteous, I say I'm righteous. If he says I'm healed, I say I'm healed. If he says I'm rich, I say I'm rich. That's what I say. I'm going to say what he says. And give him something to work with as my high priest. 1 Timothy 2.5, I believe it is, says there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men. It is the man, Christ Jesus. There is somebody who is the go-between between you and God. Somebody that stands between the living and the dead. Somebody that has already paid the price. And if you'll believe on him, you can be saved. And that salvation includes healing. It's part of it. The type was in connection with healing. Somebody say the plague was stayed. The plague was stayed. 
Glory to God. I had two whole pages of redemption things, and that's not for tonight. Go to Numbers 21. Numbers 21. This is our fifth type of redemption, and I'm, these are, I think these are all I'm going to give you for now. And then we're going to get into the actual work of redemption itself. And we're going to shout about that. It must be built into our consciousness. It must replace religious ideas. Ungodly, unbiblical religion is taking millions to hell. It's one of the worst enemies the church has. People believe stuff like it's Bible. And it's not. It's actually contrary to the Bible. But people believe it because it's how they've been brought up. And it's what they've been taught. It's what they've been taught from pulpits. Even as children. It's what their parents were taught. And now you've got generations of tradition. That people don't. They don't call it tradition. They call it Christianity. And it's so serious because what it is doing is replacing the real word. And so people go on through their whole life and not get results in an area and wonder why. Because they're holding so fast to this belief, but the belief is not the word. Not realizing it was switched on their grandparents. It was switched on people. You know, the devil pulled a switch on people and got them to swap out the word for this five generations ago, ten generations ago. 20 generations ago. And now people cling to it like it's the word. And all it's doing is stealing from them and robbing them. I had a lady one time come down, bless her heart, annoyed with something I had said. And she said, well now, I just don't agree with that. Because you know it's just like the song says. I said, the What? She said, well, it's like the song, S-O-N-G. The song, I said, the song? Yeah, you know the song. And she's quoting words out of a song like it's the Bible. And she is not receiving scripture we just read to her and holding on to this. This has always been a problem. It was a problem in Jesus' time. What did he tell them? He said, you have made the word of none effect. By what? By your traditions. You have traded the word for traditions. And don't think you're exempt from this. Don't think we're talking about somebody else somewhere else. If you've been in this world longer than a few weeks, you've picked up some traditions. And what you need to do, what I need to do, everybody all the time, is examine what you believe. Where is it in the book? Where is it? And not just a third of a verse. There should be, if it's really the truth, there'll be multiple verses that agree on that. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Numbers 21, are you there? What are we looking for now? These are types of redemption. What are we looking for in the type? We're looking for healing in the type. Numbers 21 and verse 4. They journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. 
And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Watch out for discouragement. Because it is the path down. It is the path into darkness and failure and defeat. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Somebody say dumb. 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 One of the dumbest things you ever did was blame God and other people for your problems. Dumb. Faithless. Ignorant. And it's the way to be destroyed. 1 Corinthians 10 says that. It says, don't murmur like they murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Everybody said out loud, complaining Complaining. and destruction. destruction. Do you see this? Griping and complaining opens the door to the destroyer in your life. Don't do it. No matter what. Now, you'll be tempted to at times. You will. But don't yield to the temptation. Resist it and instead thank God. Find something to thank God about. And be thankful and in His light you'll get more light. You'll see more light. And instead of going down, you'll come up. You'll come out. Oh, but when you get miffed. You get all hurt. You feel like everybody owes you something. They didn't come through for you. They didn't treat you right. And you won't come right out and say it, but you're harboring, nursing this grudge against God. God didn't come through for you. He didn't do what I asked him to do. Never mind, you won't do what he told you to do. (laughs) You're going to be mad because you don't think he did what you wanted him to do. God has never been your problem. Never let you down. Never will. Say, I'm not a griper. I'm not a griper. The people spoke against God and against Moses. They said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die out here in this wilderness? There's no bread. There ain't no water. And we are sick and tired of this light bread. (laughs) What's he talking about? Manna. I mean, it's manna cakes for breakfast. It's manna sandwich for lunch. It's manna for supper and manna snacks. It's just manna, manna, manna. I mean, I am fed up with manna. I'm sick of manna. Now, anybody that's got flesh could have that thought come through their mind. And they could have that feeling come across you. And if you're dumb, you'll say it. You yield to it and start talking that way and griping. But how many know that's being darkened in your understanding? Because what would they have if they didn't have this manna? There's no grocery stores out here in the desert. They would have starved to death long ago. And whose fault is it? They've been eating manna for all this length of time. Not God's fault. If they'd obeyed him, they'd already been through there in the promised land. Eating peaches. Figs and watermelons and barbecue. In their hammock. Having an ice cream. It's their fault they're not already through. But unbelievers, that's part of their problem. They don't want to accept responsibility 
for why their life is the way it is. They want to blame somebody else. So they blame Moses. You the one brought us out of here. Why? Why did you bring us out here? (laughs) Brought us out here to die. Well, it didn't please the Lord. I said it didn't please the Lord. So fiery serpents came into the camp and started biting the people. Well, now, it's no shocker that there's snakes in the desert. But what is significant is how they have had no problem with any of these things for month after month. We saw it when he delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. There was a protective barrier around them. I mean, plagues would come through the land. When it got to the border of Goshen, it just run up against something. God knew about force fields long before Star Trek. Didn't he? He had one over them. And it kept out the snakes and the scorpions and the disease. How many believe God could keep something over you right now? We just spent weeks on Psalm 91, didn't we? And we saw the canopy of God's protection. Somebody say, it's on me. I live in it. The protection of God is round about me. Covers me. Believe it. And remember, what was our part again and again in that 91st Psalm? I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge. He's my fortress. He's my protector, my God. In Him I trust. Well, why would you say that? He is the apostle and high priest of what comes out of your mouth. Your confession. Glory to God. Well, what's coming out of their mouth right now? We all going to die out here. There ain't nothing to eat. I'm fed up with this manna. Hmm? <laughs> now, I don't want any show of hands. But do you wonder if anybody in here has ever talked like that? Well, past is past, but don't yield to it in the future. Because snakes begin to move through the camp and bite the people. Verse 7, the people came to Moses and they said, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away these serpents from us. And Moses said, tough. (laughs) Griping about me and rebelling against me. Pray for yourself. Oh, yeah, you want Moses now. I mean, this morning it was, we hate Moses. Moses is the cause of all our problems. And after lunch, it's, oh, Moses, pray, pray. (laughs) No, no, you see one reason why he was the man in charge, right? Because what did he do? God knew who to put there. He prayed for the people. And... Verse 8, the Lord said to Moses, make you a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looks upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass 
and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Glory to God. Is this a type of Jesus? How do you know? Well, John 3 says so. Turn over there real quickly. New Testament, John 3. Anybody remember John 3.16? Is that good? Well, John 3.15 is good too. And 14. So let's back up and look at it and see the flow of it. How you get to verse 16. John 3 and 14. As Moses... Lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the son of man be lifted up. Is that serpent on the pole a type of Jesus? No question about it. The Bible says so. Was Jesus lifted up? Between heaven and earth? Between the dead and the living? Oh, can you see all this? Glory to God. He was lifted up. Keep reading. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, they got to keep their mortal life a while longer. Right? By looking on and believing on that type of Jesus. We not only get that, we get eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And he goes into the next verse talking about condemnation. You cannot have faith till your condemnation is removed. Condemnation is the faith killer. It is the confidence destroyer. Think about it. Confident, condemned. If you're condemned, you're not confident. Confident in God. Confident that He hears your prayer. Confident that your prayer and request is granted. You got to get rid of your condemnation. There's only one thing could do that. Only one thing could cleanse and purge a guilty conscience. Is the blood of the Lamb. It's faith in the sacrifice of Jesus. And yes, by faith in Him, you can have confidence to be saved that you miss in hell. But that's not the whole thing. You can also have confidence to be healed. You can have confidence to get free. Confidence to live out the rest of your life. But you cannot have condemnation. Now we're just getting into this. But believe with me on this. There's something needs to be done. In us. In this area. Because Christians live. In different degrees of guilt. And shame. And embarrassment. And it destroys your faith. It just undermines your confidence in God. You've got to have that 
removed off of you. You got to have the guilt rolled off of you. You got to have that confidence that I'm clean before God. I'm made right. I'm made holy. I'm washed by the blood. And when you got that, your faith just comes right up to the surface. And you can have confidence to receive your healing. Oh, can you see this? Glory to God. You remember the man that his four friends brought him and tore off the housetop, lowered him down in front of Jesus, got dust in everybody's hair and interrupted the service. Jesus looked at him. What did he say to him? Son, your sins are forgiven you. Made all the preachers mad. Didn't it? They said, who is he? Saying he forgives sin. Why did he say that? Did the man say I'm coming to get forgiven? No, he came to get healed. But this had to be dealt with first. I said this had to be dealt with first so that he is free from this guilt and shame and condemnation because he's about to tell him something that's going to take faith to do. What's the next thing he told him? (laughs) Get up from there. Take up your bed and go to the house. He can't. He's paralyzed. It's going to take faith. It's going to take some confidence in the Word of God to act on that Word. And in order to have that confidence, you must be free from guilt and shame and condemnation. You can't go around harboring and hiding a bunch of stuff from your past and holding on to that guilt and shame. It'll choke off your faith. It'll keep you from even believing God will hear you. Is the blood enough and more than enough to cleanse you from every sin? To make you whole and righteous. Then you ought to lose that guilt. You ought to lose that condemnation. And come on into faith here. He didn't send his son into the world. To condemn the world. He sent his son into the world. So that we could be free from the condemnation. And have faith. And receive our life. And receive our inheritance. Now let's go back to what we started on. He's talking about Jesus has to be lifted up just like Moses lifted up the serpent, the snake on the pole. Somebody said, a snake on a pole is a type of Jesus? The Bible said so. A brass snake. Brass is typical of judgment. The snake is typical of sin and evil. How could that be a type of Jesus? Oh, it is. I said it is. Because when Jesus hung on the cross, it was not pretty. People, you know, look at the cross and they make them beautiful out of gold and ornamented with jewels and what have you. But listen, the cross in its day was like the electric chair. Or like a lethal injection. It was the death penalty for the worst criminals. We're going to get into this some next week I believe. But when he hung on the cross it was not pretty. He there became sin with our sin and was judged brass. Remember it became dark. The sun wouldn't even shine. 
And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because he was treated as sin and judged as sin and everything evil and everything ugly that you have ever done or thought or been a part of or any human being has ever been or ever will be converged on him. And he didn't just empathize with it. He became sin. He became it. Though he had none of his own, he became sin. I'm quoting scripture. With our sin and was judged. Brass. Serpent. And when he died and when they took him off of there and they buried him, there was no shouting. There was no trumpets. It was cold. It was dark. It was hard. It was bad. And the devil thought he won. The Bible said if the devil had known and his princes had known, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. They did not know what they were getting into. They thought they were winning. They thought they had won. Oh, but the third day. Oh, come on now. The third day, he rose free from sin and it was your sin he bore and put away which means you are free from sin your sin has already been judged and already been put away all you got to do is believe it so all you got to do is believe it and receive it Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. we need to camp on this some more don't we We need to get this built into our consciousness instead of some religious stuff. The word atonement is really not a New Testament word. I know that sounds strange to a lot of people, but don't take my word for it. Study. It's used in one place in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, and really modern translations don't use it. The word atonement is used many places in the Old Testament. We just got through reading it, didn't we? He went and made an atonement. You know what atonement means? It means to cover. Atone means to cover. Like with something really thick and dark. Cover it so you couldn't see it. And that is the accurate word for the Old Testament. And the book of Hebrews gets into it in detail about how that there was remembrance of sins made year to year. Why? Because they weren't fixed. They were just covered. And how the blood of bulls and goats could never, get this, take away sin. They could only cover it. And God would bless the people based on somebody's coming (laughs) to do what this animal blood can't do. So I'm going to go ahead and bless you and heal you. On credit. Based on what Jesus is going to do. Said the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. Oh, but he came. And his blood has taken away. And washed away. Your sins are not covered. They are gone. Oh, come on now. Your sins are not covered they are gone 
They're gone. Actually, in that scripture in Romans 5, let me see, where is it? Romans 5, 11, you don't have to turn there. But Romans 5, 11, it says, in Jesus Christ, we have received the atonement. It's not the word for atonement. It's the word for reconciliation. And that's what most of your modern translations have. And here's what it means. Exchange. Exchange. He didn't cover your sins. He took your sins and brought them away. When he rose from the dead, there was no sin on him. There was no part of any sin or judgment on him. It was done. It's gone forever and gave you his righteousness. There's no covering here. It's an exchange. He took your sin and took it away. Now it's gone. He gave you his righteousness. His holiness. Most Christians have not dared to believe this. It just sounded too big and too good to be true. That's why it's called good news. We need to examine our songs. New Testament believers do not need to stand up and sing about their sins being covered over. It's not accurate. Our sins are gone. He took them away. You can't find them. And he gave us in exchange his own, his own, his own rightness and cleanness. That's why we can come boldly before the throne of grace. When under the Old Testament, nobody but the high priest could come into the holy place, you know, once a year with all the sacrifices with bells on. Now all of us can come right into the very presence of the Almighty by faith. What would make us clean enough to do that? Only the righteousness of Jesus himself that he gave to us. We didn't earn it. We just receive it by faith. You could never earn it, but you can believe it. And you can say it out loud of your mouth. Go to 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. I want you to say this. I'm thinking about closing. 2 Corinthians, fifth chapter. We're talking about types of redemption. Did we see healing in this type? Oh, this is such a beautiful type of redemption. Put yourself in these people's places. This is not a fairy tale. This actually happened. Two or three million people. Out in the desert, snakes come from all over the place and are biting the people, poisonous vipers, and people are dying. A bunch of them are already dead. A bunch of people are already bitten, and some are about to be bit. Now, if you turned 20 rattlesnakes loose in this room, <laughs> do you suppose it would affect things? Yeah. I'm talking about big old Poisonous rattlesnakes. One crawl right up under your foot. Go up behind the aisle. You hear somebody grab their leg and go, I've been bit. I've been bit. And then you hear something, you feel something come across your foot. This is going on throughout the whole camp. I submit to you there's chaos in that camp. Hmm? People are running. 
and screaming. Animals are spooked. They're knocking the tents over. They're running through the campfires. And it seems amazing to me that in the midst of this, Moses hears from the Lord. And puts up a serpent, a brass serpent up on a pole high enough and big enough for the people to see. And he sends messengers and he gets attention some way and he says, listen, listen. I have heard from Jehovah. Everybody who looks on the serpent on the pole will live. Now the Amplified has an interesting note on that verse when it says everyone that looks. If you'll read it sometime, it says that this word for look, and you look it up, you'll see it, it's true, does not mean a passing glance. It means a steady, absorbing gaze. You had to fix your gaze on the serpent on the pole in the midst of chaos. People ask the question now, what do I, well I hear what you say by a stripes I'm here, but what do I do with these symptoms? I'm hurting. I got this, I got pain, I got discomfort, I got this. I mean, you, you can't do it. Yeah, you can. I said, yes, you can. You can do it with venom flowing through your veins. You can do it with your neck swelling up and your eyes bulging out, your heart up in your throat. Come on now. You can do it with a snake crawling behind you. You can do it with your babies crying. And your camels running off the hill somewhere. And your tent on fire. Many of them did it. Didn't they? Oh, come on. Do you see this? Venom coursing through their veins. Feeling the effects of it. They lifted up their eyes. And they just stood there. They heard animals and people and screaming and they thought they felt another snake crawl across their foot. But if you want to live, you cannot get immersed in all this. You've got to do this and see nothing else. And that's all I see. And what the Bible say? As many as looked. Everybody that looked lived. Not born again, not filled the Holy Ghost, no Bible to quote. If they can do it, we can do it. And if they could look at a serpent on the pole, we can look at Jesus on the cross. We can look at Jesus at the whipping post, taking our infirmities and bearing our sicknesses and carrying our pains. We can look at him hanging on the cross and paying the price for every one of our sins. But you must look away from distractions and feelings and pain and bad reports. Because it will try to pull you down and keep you doing this. Can't do it. You can't be healed like that. You can't live like that. You've got to do what? And you've got to do it every day. And if you're not paying attention, you'll be listening to this and talking to that and paying attention to this. And you've got to say, quit it, quit it, quit it. Here. Right here. Jesus took my infirmities. He bore my sicknesses. He carried my pains. He hung between heaven and earth. He interceded for me and ever lives to make intercession for me. He's my mediator. He's paid the price. He's bought it. He's paid for it. By stripes I am healed. I was healed. Hmm? 
you got to think about it. you got to talk about it night and day. And if you'll keep a steady, absorbing gaze on Him. That's not just my theory. How many remember Hebrews? Huh? Looking to the author and the finisher of your faith. Don't be distracted by weights and sins and things that would hinder you. Look into Jesus. Keep your eyes on Him and run that race. You'll finish it. You'll finish what you're believing for. You'll get results. Can you say amen? Was there healing in that type? Healing from snake venom? The effects of it? Deliverance from death? Physical? 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 What does that prove? There's got to be healing in the plan of redemption. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been in this. And so much more. 2 Corinthians 5. I think this is it. Stand up on your feet. Hold a Bible in your hands. I want you to read this out loud. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the apostle and high priest of what? He is the apostle. He is the high priest, the mediator of what comes out of your mouth that you believe in your heart. Did something happen to you? When you believed in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and you went ahead and confessed, you said it out loud of your mouth, Jesus is my Lord. I received Jesus as my Lord. I believe he's been raised from the dead. Did something happen to you? Jesus was able to do something with your words. Well, look at this. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. This whole passage here deals with what we've talked about previously. Verse 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away and all things are become new. All things are of God who has what? Not atoned. What does reconcile mean? I gave you a word. Exchange. Don't take my word for it. Look it up for yourself. Exchange. The ministry of reconciliation. He's reconciled to us to himself by Jesus Christ, and he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We have not taught that. The church has not taught that. We're supposed to be telling everybody about the great exchange. He took your sins and gave you his righteousness. He took your sickness and gave you health. He took your poverty. And made you rich. I'm quoting scriptures. Religion has taught people. Well if you'll be really really sorry. If you'll just be really sorry. Sorry for your sin. And be sorry. Repent. And try to live right. Maybe you'll be saved. Religion has taught people. It's still up in the air. Religion has taught people. When you get to heaven. Peter will be there. With a big balance. And we'll see if you got enough good works versus bad works, whether you can get in or not. No. That is not the gospel. That is not truth. We have been given a ministry of reconciliation to tell people about the great exchange. 
Somebody say the great exchange. He took my sin. Gave me his righteousness. He took my sickness. Gave me healing. He took my poverty. Gave me riches. He took the chastisement of my peace. And gave me his peace. The great exchange. Let's camp on this. Let's talk about this. Let's get this built into our consciousness. Quit being religious with men's ideas and be excited about this. He goes on to say, he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20, now then we as ambassador, well I'm moving too fast. Verse 19, God was in Christ. Reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Why? He took them on himself. And he committed to us the word of reconciliation. What's reconciliation about? Exchange. Now then, we are ambassadors for the anointed one. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. What does that mean? If Jesus was here in the person, this is what he'd tell you. And we're telling you, as his ambassador, as his representative, we're telling you this. Be reconciled to God. Believe that you have fellowship with God again, that you have every right to be blessed, that you have every right to heaven, that you have every right to healing and every blessing. Why? Because of the great exchange. Verse 21. What does it say? Read it out loud. For he has made him to be sin for us, him who knew no sin, that we... Might be made the righteousness of God in him. Was he? Did he? Are we? Just as surely as he was made sin. We are made righteous. Just as surely. The great exchange. Now, you may not see how, what this has to do with healing, but I assure you, it is the bedrock of your faith and your healing. And it's setting us up perfect for next week, unless the Lord says something else. Because redemption is the great exchange. Because of what he has done, you have a right to be healed. Healing is yours. It belongs to you. You ought to be healed. You have a right to be rich. You have a right to be happy and free and be at peace and be full of joy. So many people say, yeah, but I've missed it. And so many. You're not listening. <laughs> All of your sins have already been put on him and he didn't cover them up. He took them away. They're gone forever. Even the ones you haven't done yet. He put them away. Somebody say, where? You can't find them. Don't look. He put them away and gave you 
His righteousness. Now, whose righteousness? Jesus' righteousness. Should Jesus be healed or sick? Hmm? Does Jesus have a right? Did he have a right to walk the earth and be healed and free from disease and be strong to serve the Father? You have that same right because you have his righteousness. Oh, do you see this? Say it out loud. Say it out loud. God made him to be sin with my sin. All my sins. And now... I have been made right, righteous with his rightness, and it is mine now. It'll help you. Oh, it'll help you. Religious heads don't like to hear it, but you need to say the Bible. He, Jesus, the apostle and high priest of your confession, you need to go around saying, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I've been made righteous in Jesus. I am right in the eyes of God. I've been made right. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. It's not because of what you've done. It's what he's done. As surely as he was made sin, you're made righteous, which means you have every right to be healed. And everything else that's good. Can you say amen? This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.